This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, everybody, I have an announcement. My new book, Traumatized, is available for pre-order now. In it, I cover PTSD and complex PTSD, the symptoms we can experience when we have been traumatized, and of course, ways we can overcome these and heal. There is honestly too much helpful information in this book to list it all, but if you've ever wondered if you've been traumatized or are working to overcome past trauma, this book is for you. I cannot wait for it to be out in the world and help anyone suffering, so please pre-order yours today at katiemorton.com. Or why you've hit a plateau Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know Ask Katie anything Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Ask Katie Anything And thanks again to Jules who made that beautiful, beautiful song for us Um, It's been a strange year and week this week has been very strange if you're in the states or in other parts of the world i know they're having protests as well um please be safe and also i think and i'll talk about this more in monday's video um but just be open to learning i think a lot of times online people want to just shout to be heard and want to shut other people down and come into conversations already thinking that they know the answer and they know better and I think in order for us all to change our perspectives and to change how we interact with one another, um, we're going to have to listen more, to learn more and understand other people's perspectives before ex- like pretending that we, we know best and we know better. No one's going to listen to us if we act that way. So I think it's better if we come at situations um, listening to learn. Um, and that'll be kind of the video that comes out on Mondays about like listening, because <clears throat> in order for us to to do better, we have to learn where people are at and and learn how to communicate in a way where they can hear us. Because if no one's hearing us, if we're just shouting, people get defensive, people shut down. I know that. I personally don't like conflict or confrontation. So if someone does like shout at me, I I like shut down or I see red. And either way, I'm not, I don't hear them. So just consider that when you're uh, communicating online. And I would encourage all of us to, to try to be a little bit more kind and compassionate to people knowing that thing like tensions are high. We have a global pandemic. Um, you know, the whole black lives matter movement is happening. There are protests An innocent man was, was killed, was murdered. Um, and we need to just understand that, you know, so just, those are just my thoughts. I'm not going to get into it. I, th- this isn't the whole goal of this podcast by any means. But in life, I think it's best that we listen to learn. We don't listen to win, right? I don't, we don't need to win an argument. We just need to help other people. We need to educate ourselves and, and uh, educate other people so that we can all be better and do better. So yeah, but I, I feel you guys, I've been feeling just, I'm just filled with sadness in general. So it's hard not to cry. Let's not talk about it. Moving on. Um, and so I pulled all of your questions. Thank you for those of you who put, um, sent them in. And again, I know I say this every week, but if you are listening to this and you're like, hey, dude, where do you get your questions? I post these 
below, well, in the community tab of the podcast channel. And the podcast channel is called Opinions That Don't Matter. And I usually ask for them on Tuesdays, sometimes Wednesdays. So make sure you have your notifications turned on for those community tab postings. Um, I believe you can like figure out which notifications you want to have on, like toggle things on and off. But I promise not to like over post on there. I don't think Sean would either um, since we share that channel. Um, So anyway, that's where I asked for them. And if you asked one this time and it didn't get answered, don't fret. You can even just copy and paste it in when I ask for them again. Um, Because I try to get through them. I do the ones that have the most thumbs ups. So if you see a question that's very similar to yours, feel free to thumbs it up and then even leave a comment adding in your own things. Because I do read through some of those replies and I'm like, okay, I'll add that in too. So just keep that in mind. Okay. Without further ado, um, and just sending a hug out to, to you if you need a hug. Ooh, just a hug. Sometimes we just need a hug. It's been, it's been a hard, hard year. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times Sean and I are like, so on to 2021, right? Like what's going to be going on then? <laughs> That's how it feels. So I'm with you. I'm in it with you. Um, I'm trying to, to listen, learn, do better too. And also keeping people safe, you know, wearing your masks, being because we still have the coronavirus. Um, <clears throat> so stay safe out there. Okay. Question number one. How can I deal with the anger, frustration, sadness, powerlessness of seeing black people killed every day for no good reason? I'm sick of things and the system not changing. I'm anxious and I'm worried for my black friend's safety. I can't sleep. I can't focus. I can't stop crying. Um, I know I kind of talked about this, but I want to just open. This is really the only question we received about this. And I didn't want this whole podcast to be surrounding this topic because there's only so much that we can say. Um, and I think, first of all, understandably so that you feel that way. I toggle between anger, sadness, powerlessness. Um, but there are some main ways that we can make change. The first is to change it within. And that's the most important. I don't think that, and this is no, I'm not dogging on protest by any means. Protests need to happen. People need to be seen and heard. However, all of us need to do better daily. It's not, a, oh, just now because it's popular. Oh, I post, I don't even like that stuff. I I participate because I don't want people to think that I'm not for a cause, but I don't even like the like hashtags and the Instagram, oh, we're going blackout Tuesday. I'm like, that doesn't actually change things. Like I, I want to see what's going to, I want to amplify voices that are important. And so I think some of the ways that we can deal with it is is taking the time to to go inside to consider how you're doing daily. What are the actions that you're taking? What are silences you're having with other people who maybe are, do do think poorly of different races or do speak poorly of them or different cultures? Um, that's where the change has to happen where instead of just being quiet, we speak up. We, we, we don't yell. Like anger, again, is not going to get a response. It's going to get a shutdown. It's going to get a defensive attack. Instead, we have to say things like, you know, I, um, from my perspective, I, I see that as kind of hurtful. Is there a reason that you worded it that way? Or, you know, I'm curious where you learned to use that language. Like, is that how your family talks? Like being curious, being uh, interested in, in trying to understand so that then we can figure out how to educate in a way where they can hear it. I know this is hard. I know it's uncomfortable. Uh, difficult conversations and conflict resolution is never comfortable. Um, but I know that change won't happen if we just shout at people um, because they won't hear us. And then the people who are doing these things, you know, it won't change. Um, 
so and then the second way is so changing our inside then changing i guess third so second would be like changing the way we interact with other people you know not necessarily just calling it out. I know people are like, you need to call it out. Again, we need to approach things from a conflict resolution standpoint so that we can all be educated and we can move things forward and we can change things. Um, fighting and stuff doesn't, doesn't always lead to that. It can lead to like more rigid stances on things that maybe that person's not really sure of, but they feel attacked. So they're going to hold that line. You know what I mean? Um, and then the third is vote. Check out your local stuff. Uh, not, not even local, but like federal, like check out what people are doing, what people are voting for, what uh, stances are people taking? Are those things that are uh, that align with your thoughts and beliefs? I believe we take democracy for granted in the States. So many people are not educated about what their local authorities and people are doing. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Santa Monica has really let me down. Um, not only did the peaceful protests get more police activity and action than the looters, which was a separate thing um and they just let the looting happen while they spent all their time hassling peaceful protesters i couldn't be more frustrated with the situation i feel like i don't know if i want to be a part of this community um i don't know if it's something that i want my tax dollars to go towards i'm definitely not voting for people that i've that i've watched do things that i don't agree with so pay attention to what is happening pay attention to the people that you can vote and not vote for make your voice heard educate yourself um and I just think that that's something that we all should do. But again, I'm, I'm not into politics, you guys. I don't enjoy talking about them. And I don't believe that um, that race should be a political thing. It's a person thing. It's a people thing. It's a human thing. Um, and I think, you know, sharing love, sh uh, educating, understanding, um, getting into uncomfortable conversations, having uncomfortable conversations with ourselves about things that maybe we've been a part of that we should have said something, um, but we didn't want to, you know, make any waves all that like those are things we have to look in inside and we have to figure out if that's what what we're wanting to do moving forward and like what is this for us and so for this question like how do I deal with the anger and frustration you have to talk about it we have to vent with people who share our views and we have to be open to having slow and uncomfortable and potentially draining conversations with people who who don't see things the way we do and we have to be open to hearing their perspective again we have to listen to learn not listen to win um and the system you know there i, I don't want to get into like all of it but i believe the system needs to be looked at and things need to be changing and and there needs to be safety for all people in cities and communities um not just people of privilege um and so when it comes to all that we can feel, like the anxiety, like I'm not sleeping well, Sean and I are up until like one or two in the morning, then got to get up and do work. And like, I just want to cry a lot and I, I feel it, but we have to talk about it. I think that's the thing. And that's what frustrates me about uh, some of the online conversations is that people aren't open to just listening and having people talk. People are expected to say a certain thing and do a certain thing versus being able to connect and communicate about how crazy and difficult this is um and being open to learning from someone else and someone else's perspective you know um yeah I know I'm kind of going in circles there I, I still am trying to figure out like still process what I'm feeling because it is a lot um and that comes from a, a point of privilege right like I'm not I haven't been hurt by the police um I haven't you know been in any dangerous situation like anyway I live in a very nice community. Um, you know, they come when you call, the police come and like they, 
I'm not scared of them. There's all sorts of things that I know that I have uh, a privilege of being and um, experiencing. And so, um, yeah, talk about it, vent about it hear other people's perspectives, engaging in conversation. I really think the connection and the shared experience and the the true conversations will help you feel better. It will help you manage all that all that you're going through because it is a lot like nobody's I don't know, I hear from people all the time. I mean, I got a ton of messages. Also, thank you all for re- who reached out and was like, Are you okay? Like it's in Santa Monica. We are okay. It did get very, very close to our apartment. It was very scary. Um, hearing uh, gunshots with rubber bullets and pepper balls and um fireworks and the tank those big cars that the national guard comes in on sound crazy you guys it's like like their tires just don't even sound like regular tires and the rumbling it's very terrifying um but we are okay and everything has been fine since i think that was sunday um yeah but again be open to talking about it talk to people vent about it journal about it um, if it helps to, even if you live alone and you're like, I don't have anybody I can really talk to about this. If you say it out loud to yourself or connect with a member of our community, talk to them. Um, there are tons of resources too. If you're wanting to educate yourself more about things you can do or things you can be a part of. Um, there are a lot of, uh, different nonprofits and, and things for the mental health component, uh, that we can, you know, that as a community, I feel like I can really rally behind. Um, I even, uh, shared in my Instagram the link to uh, the Minnesota what's it called like it's for bail I forget what it's freedom it's the Minnesota Freedom Fund but oftentimes people are arrested who um, you know were charged with a small crime and the bail is just too high so they sit in prison for a while waiting for their trial um, or people who were arrested protesting you can help out there too so they can get out on bail and wait until their trial without having to be stuck in in jail um, yeah, there's lots of things you can do. Um, I think taking action where we can and venting about it is really the best. And so do more of that. And I encourage everybody in our community, um, please be kind to one another. I don't want any shouting and comments. I don't want any hate online. Um, this is really a time to come together to understand to, to communicate. Um, and the more that I can support and nurture that the more I will. Um, just because we have to be able to engage in conversation. Shouting does not get us anywhere. Um, that just shuts people down. And if anything, I've learned talking to different people and different generations of people, we all have to just be open to to listening as well as talking. You can't just talk out someone. Um, so, so yeah, vent about it. Take action where you can. Share things if that helps. That's like kind of the action part is like sharing things that are helpful. Um, maybe if you want to go protest peacefully and safely, go do that. Um, obey the laws. You know, if there's a curfew, please go home. I don't want any of you to be in any dangerous situation getting picked up by the police. Um, we can be safe and we can still have our voice be heard. And I think the the more calm and uh, listening to learn that we can do in this situation, the better off we'll be. Um and then talking to your your black friends that you're worried about, check in on them, see how they're doing, listen for, from their perspective. What do they feel about this? How how is how are they experiencing this? Um, and that can help you learn too. Um, yeah, and then just just feel it. It's okay to cry. It's okay to shout. I've yelled at the TV like five times already today, so um, that's okay too. Okay, um, I'm sorry this is happening. Why can't people just be good? I ask myself that all the time, especially I'm writing a book on trauma. I've been like reading about abuse for like 
weeks and months and I guess it's actually been months now. Shit. Anyway, so I feel like my brain is like filled with like trauma, hurt, upset. And I constantly think, why can't people just be good to other people? It costs me nothing. That's super easy. It takes actually more energy for me to be angry and be hateful and do something hurtful. Anyway. Okay. I love you all. Sending love, kindness, understanding, and support your way. Okay. Let's not cry. Let's get into question number two. Um, Katie, can you talk in depth about intellectualization? I learned about it in therapy as I talked about childhood trauma. I never heard of it until my therapist said that that's what I was doing. I always, um, I wanted more information and maybe other people can relate to it. Thanks. Yes, I <laughs> I have many patients over the years and many uh, community members that do this. Um, if you haven't heard of intellectualization, what it is, is it's when, when we are uh, like, I don't even know how to explain it. I guess it's like when we go to explain a situation or to process a situation, instead of letting ourselves feel it and be in it, we intellectualize it. Meaning we uh, scientifically explain what's happening. Like, okay, let's say, um, let's say I was sexually abused as a child and I, my therapist start asking, starts asking about it. And I say, you know, I understand because like, you know, my uncle was abused and I understand the cycle of violence. And like, also, I I know why I'm reacting this way. It's like flashbacks and body. I know because my amygdala is enlarged and it's firing. I've been fight, flight, free. We like explain it away. Intellectualization doesn't leave any room for emotion. And while it has its place, right, just the same way people make jokes, like I have so many patients um, and viewers who make light or joke when they talk about painful things. I had this patient... uh, God, I guess it's been like two or three years since since she um, graduated. Um, but she used to talk about, uh, she sustained horrible physical and sexual abuse as a child. And when we were working through it, she would smile. She would talk about it like this with a big smile on her face as she's just recalling these horrific memories and experiences and, gr- and crazy amounts of detail all with a smile on her face. I remember at one point I said to her, I was like, um, I'd like for you to to not smile if you can. Is that possible? And she had a really hard time. But it's all coping, right? Intellectualization, uh, making li- smiling while we talk about it, making jokes. Um, I also like even changing the subject. I have patients when I get into a certain thing, they're like, wait, is that a new plant? Oh, and I'm like, back to the subject. Um, so I think... Intellectualization is just a, a uh, distraction, a way to cope, a way to um, explain things away without tapping into how that made us feel. And so it is very helpful and it's a way for us to rationalize and be logical about things and talk about it in a real way. But what we're missing is that emotional component where we have to tap into how you felt. A lot of times there's a ton of rage that's built up or uh, shame and sadness. And this person said, you know, I talked about childhood trauma. Um, There can be a lot in that and it can be difficult for us to tap into it and explain it in a real way or talk about it in a real way. And so we just intellectualize it. And so what I would encourage you to do is to pay attention to uh, when, when you're intellectualizing when you're trying to explain something that's painful for you or upsetting for you when you're trying to just talk about it in a very 
I don't know, school book way, you know, all those books, it's like the way they write is just like, bleh. it's just so boring and terrible. Um, when you notice yourself doing that, bring it back, pull it back. And instead think, what's a feeling that I'm having right now? Maybe it's sadness, maybe it's anger, maybe it's rage, maybe, I don't know, it's uh, worry, whatever it could be. Maybe print out one of those feelings charts because that's really the way to get us out of that loop of intellectualization is to notice when we're doing it and then to try to identify a couple feelings because unlike a lot of us who live, like personally, I live in emotion brain a lot. I, I have to purposely put myself into wise mind space. The people who intellectualize spend all their time like in this wise mind without being able to ever tap into emotion mind. And I know it's not it's not necessarily like wise minds intellectualizing, but just to give you kind of like a another uh, explanation, another idea of it. And so. So, yeah, my um, try to try to figure out what you're feeling, use some feelings charts, try to identify those, um, try to track some thoughts if you can use those feelings and words in a sentence. There's all those things we've talked about over the years. And a way to like, let you feel that, not just explain it. Um, and yeah, it'll get better. We can fight through it. And it's very, very common. I am sure if any of you struggle with this, just, you know, give it a thumbs up in the comments here. I am sure this person's not alone. I hear about it and see it all the time. It's a very normal way to cope and deal with things. Um, and it's just a distraction technique, really. So we got to tap in, we got to fight back. Okay, question number three, let me get some water here. And this question was funny to me. I like it. So here we go. I mean, I love I love all your questions. But this one's particularly interesting for some reason. It says Hi, Katie, I always struggle with the start of sessions. My therapist usually starts with, with asking how was your week? I do that sometimes too. Um, if I don't have something specific that they're working on, I'm like, well, tell me about your week. What's happening? It feels impolite to launch into how I've been. I feel like I should ask her how she is first or say, fine, thanks. How was yours? Also, when asking that question to your clients, what exactly is it that you want to know? I never know if I'm telling her pointless things and missing out on important information. I love your channel so much. Thanks for all you do. Of course. Thank you. Um, so funny. And I love this. Okay. Because we do this. This is another like video of like, what does your therapist really mean or say? And sorry, guys, if you hear the helicopters, it's just the military um, rolling in and out. Okay. Um, so uh, it's, it is very normal socially to feel that when someone asks us how things are going, that we automatically ask them how, how their things are going. So if someone's like, hey, how are you? I'm good. How about you? That's like, we don't even think about it. I used to fight with my, not fight, but like it was a battle with my patients when I worked at the Eating Disorder Treatment Center that when I said, um, morning, how are you? Or, hey, how are you? Anything like that. If they said fine, I was like, pick another word. I don't like that word. I don't like fine. I don't like, okay, what's going on? How you doing? And so it, um, we, we just respond without thinking. That's just kind of part of, I don't know why. It's just part of like our society and the way that we interact with one another. And so don't feel like this is out on a street at a party seeing a friend or family member. This is therapy. So when she says, how has your week been? It's okay to say shitty or I don't know. Let me think back. Okay, when did I see you a lot? It's okay to like process out loud, figure it out. What we're really looking for. So then kind of to the second comp component 
Oh, also, before I move into that, therapy is about you. It's not about your therapist. It's not rude or impolite to not ask how we are, because really, it's easier for us to not have to like find a way to sidestep that question without seeming rude ourselves, because it's your time. It's not about us. It's the one relationship in your life where you don't have to worry or even maybe care how we're doing. Don't worry. Forget about it. We got our own therapy. We got our own friends and family. We'll vent to them and talk to them. This is your time. Okay. I give you complete permission to never ask how we're doing. Okay. But if you can't help yourself, it's okay to say, my week was kind of shit. How are you doing? You know, and then we can say, I'm okay. And then we'll just go right into what we needed to talk to you about. You know, if you have to do that, that's pretty much the answer you'll get. It won't be a real answer. It won't be a lie. It's just a very plain, like I said, like, I'm fine, or I'm okay, you'll get one of those answers. Um, but what we're looking for is any upsets this week. We're really just looking for an overview. Did we have any homework that we gave you or any tools you're supposed to try? Did you try them? How'd they work? Those are the things that we're looking for. Like, for instance, if um, if I was seeing one of my depressed patients, um, right now it's all Zoom. So if I was seeing her on Zoom, it'd come up and I'd be like, how's your week doing? And what I would really mean, and I, I don't usually do the, sometimes I ask how's their week, but usually I ask directly like, hey, our homework was for you to shower twice. How'd that go? I ask like, but some it depends. Sometimes there's not something, there isn't a directive. There wasn't like a homework assignment that week. So I might just say, how did this week, how was last week? What happened? You know, how's your week been going? Um, however, we're usually just looking for that. Was there anything upsetting or exciting? Anything that comes to mind that happened? If there was homework, how did that go? Is there anything that bubbled up in your brain? You're like, oh my God, I want to talk about this. We're just trying to check in to see where you're at because we probably have, or if your therapist is good at their job and putting in the work, we already have kind of an agenda. And I'm not talking like, you know, first opening remarks, (laughs) second, you know, getting into ACT as a type of uh, anxiety therapy that I do. Um, use tools six, eight, and 10. I, you know, we don't have that kind of agenda, but I will have an agenda where it's like, um, you know, check in on homework, work towards, let's say, uh, teaching thought stopping techniques and give them homework, uh, to that effect. Or, you know, I'll have like an idea of what I want to get to. And so, we're just checking in with you to see if you have anything on your agenda that we need to work in. Um, yeah. And then pointless things. Sometimes I, excited the, the end of this says, I never know if I'm telling her pointless things and missing out on important information. I always would prefer my patients err on the side. Sorry, it's because I'm talking so much. It makes me on. Err on the side of telling us more versus less. Something that you might see as pointless or think is very normal to us could be very telling about something else. So don't be afraid to share what you would consider quote unquote pointless. Um, as long as it's like behaviors and things that have happened in your life, emotions, situations, relationships, uh, weird conversations you had, good conversations you had, all of that's very helpful. So I wouldn't worry about telling her pointless things. Um, and it's also okay when they say, how was your week? It's okay to say like, what do you want? What do you mean about that? Like, what do you want me to tell you? Like, we didn't have any homework. So what would you like me to share? They can guide it more. Um, but yeah, hopefully that kind of answers it. And it's just funny. It, I always, I always love your questions when they like challenge the way that therapists think and things that we're like taught to do. 
and I don't really know why we do them. <laughs> and that's one of those. I'm like, I don't know why we say that. Maybe it's just a, a nice, easy way to open the conversation. So how was your week? You know, but like, it's not helpful. It's not moving things forward. And I am, I don't know, maybe we need to be more directive, ask you exactly what we want to know. Like, how was that homework? But anyway, I hope that gives you some insight and idea of why we do that. Okay, let's get into the next question. Question number four. It says, is feeling like I don't deserve therapy or crying because other people had it worse than me? Is that a sign of emotional deprivation schema? I think they mean a sign of a emotional deprivation schema. What is this emotional deprivation schema? Anyways, so I pulled this question. It got a lot of likes. However, I want you all to know that I'm not a schema therapist. Like I don't specialize in schema therapy. It isn't something that I practice. It is something that I know just enough about. Um, and so I, I'm going to read to you a little bit about what schema therapy is. And in short, um, it's a type of therapy that uh, it's like we have these patterns of behavior. So um, let's say that I constantly like this person's talking about, like, I constantly think I'm just not worth it. I don't deserve things. I'm not good enough. I don't, I shouldn't be taking up space. I don't, I shouldn't have a voice. I shouldn't be loud. Um, I need to like slink away, disappear because that's where I belong. Okay. So I have a lot of behaviors that go along with that whole belief system, right? About me not uh, being worth taking up space. Got it. And so that just gives you an idea. So that would be one schema all of those things that I do about taking up space, those patterns of behavior, that would be my schema around, um, I don't know what you'd call it. Maybe we'd, and you can name the schemas, whatever you want, uh, I think. Or is that just parts therapy? They might, because again, I'm not a schema therapist, but they might have certain schemas that you have to pull from. So maybe, anyway. But let's say we'd give that schema like emotional deprivation, so all of the thoughts and behaviors that feed into that go there, okay? So it says in psychology, I'm going to read you a little bit about what it is so we can kind of understand. So it says, in psychology and cognitive science, a schema describes a pattern of thought or behavior that organizes categories of information and relationships among them. It can also be described as a mental structure of preconceived ideas, a framework representing some aspect of the world or a system of organizing and pro uh, perceiving new information. Schematas, which is like the plural for schemas, schemata influence attention and the absorption of new knowledge. People are more likely to notice things that fit into their schemas while reinterpreting contradictions to the schema as exceptions or distorting them to fit. So they aren't, they won't be changed. Schemas aren't something because we're only looking for information that fits it. And we're going to take that information and we're going to, it's almost like we can have these falsely held beliefs about ourselves, our situation, our life as a whole. And we're going to, instead of being detectives for the opposite, which I've encouraged you all to do, if you find yourself in like unhealthy patterns and you're wanting to change, change is hard, right? However, if we find, um, if we have a schema like this, and we're looking for information, we're looking for things that support that falsely held belief, that actually very unhelpful, usually an unhealthy form of beliefs, thoughts, actions, things like that. So we're going to look for for information and things that uh, fit right in. And we're going to be like, yep. And it's going to reinforce that and make that even stronger, make that schema even bigger, larger. Um, yeah, just like firmer in our head 
even more difficult to change, okay? So that's a rough idea. Again, I don't do schema therapy. I don't know that much about it. I don't specialize in it, but that's a rough idea of what it is, okay? And if you want to read more about it, you can pull up Wikipedia. You can pull up different therapy resources and read about it. But I thought that was just a very quick, concise, easy way to to talk about them. And there also are positives to them because um, they can help help us, you know, in like understanding and managing our world as it like changes because we can like pull that information and put it into that schema to be like, oh, that's that uh, supports this belief about me, myself and my environment. Oh, that supports this, you know. So it, it's kind of a way for organizing situations, things that change in our environment, I guess, as a whole. However, back to the question. <laughs> um is feeling like I don't deserve therapy or crying because other people had it worse than me. Is that a sign of an emotional deprivation schema? It could. It definitely could be. It kind of depends. The thing that's tricky about schema therapy and because of my lack of understanding is it kind of depends on um, our schemas and which ones we have. Um, emotional deprivation, it does sound like it could fit into that because it's like uh, almost like you don't believe that you're worthy. Like you, you, you deprive yourself of the ability to like feel, be in it, um, and be accepting of the fact that you feel the way you feel and that you have the feelings that you have. Um, and so you deprive yourself of that ability or that approval. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. That This is one of the reasons why schema therapy has never been a thing for me because it's not very, it doesn't seem very tangible. It's really hard for me to always work in these like, uh, made up, I don't mean made up as like a bad thing, but like created schemas or, or parts and like trying to keep those. It just, I understand it, but it's just not, it's not the way that my brain works. It's not the way that I work best. Um, but I know that this has been super, super helpful, especially for my patients who have trauma backgrounds, um, especially complex PTSD, all that stuff. And I will be doing more research on this, um, and interviewing some people for my book. So, stay tuned. Um, but yes, I believe that that could be a sign of an emotional deprivation schema. And an emotional deprivation schema would really just be this, uh, this falsely held belief about the fact that we aren't worthy, that we um, don't deserve to have certain feelings and certain experiences and do certain things. Like it's, it's all about that. Like, I'd, I'd almost want to call it like the shame schema. I don't know if you can change the names of these again. I need to read more. Um, but that will be, those are kind of my thoughts about it because ugh, my nose is itching, excuse me. Um, because that's what it sounds like. And every schema is just a roundup of, of feelings, thoughts, behaviors, things um, that all have a certain theme. And yeah, so I think the way to fight back against this, and I don't know if this is how they do it in schema therapy, but in CBT, DBT, and ACT that I do, ta-da, this is it. Um, I would encourage you to, when you find yourself looking for things that support your schema, that feed it, because it doesn't sound like it's a very healthy or good one, um, we need to instead be detectives for the, po- the opposite, the positive. So instead of looking for things to support that you don't deserve therapy and that you don't have it as bad as other people, meaning that because their pain is more, that negates your pain, um, which isn't true, we need to look for evidence to support the opposite. So we need to look for things like people who we think have, that we have it worse than getting help. That would be great. That's awesome. That would be a perfect example of something we would like 
contradict this schema. Um, although in schema therapy, as when I was reading briefly before starting the podcast, they say that they like don't change um, and that they're adverse to change. Like the, they're pretty f- like firmly held. That doesn't mean that we can't challenge it. I don't expect it to change overnight, but we can prevent it from getting worse because the way that the schemas get more and more firmly founded in our brain is by us looking out into our environment and only looking for things to support support it and to back it up. So we have to look for uh, information, situations, things that, that, that don't support it. Okay. Ready? Moving right along. Question number five, how to get a drink of water. Okay. And again, before I, sorry, before I move on to question number five, if you want to learn about schema therapy, I'm not your best resource. Okay. I know my limits. I know what I know and what I don't know. And schema therapy is something that I, I barely understand. I get it. I've learned about it enough. It wasn't something that was taught to me in school. Um, it's a newer form of therapy. Um, I don't, that doesn't mean I don't agree with it or don't think it's helpful. I'm just saying that there probably are better resources for it. But yes, that does sound like a sign of emotional deprivation schema. And I hope that helps kind of better under, help you better understand what that means. Okay. Question number five, how to not look like a complete failure when you run into acquaintances and you don't want to explain your bad mental health? Great question. I dropped out of college last year. And in the time that I've been gone, I was supposed to do all of these big things that I promised. But in reality, I've been trying to survive every single day while struggling big time. I didn't think I would make it this far. So now I'm left with so much stress about the future. I feel like I'm so far behind and I'll never make it up. Okay. So not looking like a complete failure when you run into acquaintances. Something that I've learned, and maybe it's just with age, but I don't have to talk at length with people that I'm not close with. I know that's hard. I know some people feel like, oh, I have to be friendly and they're going to ask how school is or whatever. And da, 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 da. I think it's completely okay if you run into an acquaintance because you didn't use the word friend. You didn't use the word close family or close friend. Nothing like that. Acquaintance. And they're just that. They don't get to know much about you. It's okay to have boundaries. We don't need them to know everything about our situation. I think if someone, if you run into someone, oh, how are you? Oh, I'm good. You know, I've been doing such, you just give like, have a little canned response. Oh, I've been doing good. I've been spending time at home, you know, helping out with my family for a while. Um, Yeah, just looking forward to getting back to school and, you know, just, I don't know. There's so much going on in our world right now. Pick something else other than you. Yeah, things have been crazy. Yeah, I've just been, you know, hold up with my family like everybody else, just trying to get through. Never could you ever say something so maybe honest, but yet something we're all feeling. So maybe just lean into that. Let yourself express what we're all feeling because you've been going through your own version of it prior to all this shit that's happening. Um, and then if, if they ask like, oh, so how's school going? Be like, well, I mean, right now we're, it's, it's not happening, but I'm looking forward to getting back into it. It's not a lie. It's maybe not the full truth, but they don't have access to that. We don't have to grant them access. I give you full permission to keep these rigid boundaries around what you're going to tell people and what you're not. Just because someone knows our face enough to say hi on the street doesn't mean we have to tell them how, like everything about how we're doing. Okay? Just remember that. And then I want you all to know that you don't have to do things in a certain form and fashion by a certain time. All of this, like, I feel like I'm so far behind, I'll never make it up. Don't let those worried, depressed thoughts get you down. They're pulling you into a dark pit. 
They're not letting you see that, hey, I'm taking time so that I feel better and I can actually enjoy my time at school and I can actually focus and concentrate and remember what I study. Imagine that. So leaning into that, remembering why you took a break from school, all of that's very important. We don't have to go straight from high school to college to career to marriage to kids. To I'm so sick of these random timelines that mean nothing to anybody anymore. I don't I don't bow down to that. I don't really give it two fucks about it. And I don't think you should either. I think what we need to consider, and I would encourage all of us to change our conversations with people. This kind of goes back to the very beginning when I'm like, we need to be more thoughtful with the way we communicate and the questions that we ask and listening to learn, not listening to win or, you know, to shut down. Um, So when it comes to stuff like this, it's perfectly okay to take your time. Make sure you're okay before you go back to school so that you can remember that stuff. I like I took a year off between undergrad and graduate school because I want to make sure that I knew what I wanted to be. I wanted to work in the field for a while to make sure that psychology was actually all it was cracked up to be because grad school is fucking expensive and no one was paying for any of my shit. It was all me. So I had to be like, sure. Um, and a lot of my friends went on straight through and they're like, why are you wasting that year? Why? Because I'm not you. That's not my timeline. I'm on a whole nother timeline. So get out. Stop messing with mine. Stop focusing your energy on mine. How about you focus on your own? And then even when I was in grad school, people, when we got, um, uh, so after your first year, you start working in the field and you can start gaining hours towards your 3000 hours of licensure, right? We have to gain all those hours of clinical work. And some of my friends, when we graduated, had finished those 3,000 hours because they were working like fucking dogs, like three different jobs and all this stuff. I don't know how they did it. I didn't want to burn myself out. School's hard enough as it is. And I having a job and another job that actually paid. And it was just a lot. Um, And so I didn't. And I remember one of my colleagues, or I guess one of my classmates really at that point, he was like, how come you're only doing like 15 hours a week? I've been doing like 60. I'm almost done with my hour. You're, why are you being so lazy? And I was like, hit that, 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 that. Good for you and good for me. I'm doing what's best for me and you're doing what's best for you. So I'm just giving you a few examples to kind of get you warmed up with the thought that like, hey, you're doing your own thing and that doesn't affect anybody else. It only affects you. But the way that we have to change the conversation is really with ourselves and with other people, but mainly with ourselves about the acceptance of I am where I am and I'm at where I'm at. Like there's always going to be someone doing more, making more money, being more successful, moving along more quickly, finishing school early, finding the partner they want to be with and settling down or whatever, whatever goals that we have for ourselves, we can look out at other people and think, God damn, why do they they have that so much? I should work harder. I should do faster. I should move through this more quickly. I should, I should, I should. And we're shooting all over our life because we'll never really, why can't we enjoy the now? I'm proud of you for taking time off. I'm proud of you for taking care of your mental health. And I think we all need to just, even personally, I need to do this. Like we need to like be more compassionate and kind to ourselves and where we're at because we're not those other people. I can't, comparison is the thief of joy. And I think that you should feel a lot of pride and a lot of joy and a lot of love and acceptance for the fact that you took the time to take care of yourself. You're having a shit time and you, and you made the choice to take care of it. That's fucking awesome. Kudos to you. Five gold stars. Because 
that's where you're at. And we have to start accepting where we're at. I can't tell you guys how many um, friends of mine on YouTube do other types of content and make gazillions of dollars. And how many times I'm like, man, mental health, because mental health isn't always monetizable. It's not flashy. It's not exciting. It's not shareable. Kids don't always like it. They don't get it, right? There's so much about what I do that that isn't uh, pop culture, isn't sensationalized, isn't exciting, isn't it doesn't make a lot of money. Like I have friends who have like a mention in their video and they get paid like $50,000. I'm like, what? I, I want that, right? But I can't look out there. I can't compare, right? I am where I am. I'm proud of what I do. I'm proud of the choices I've made. I'm proud of the business that I built. I'm proud of the connection I have with each and every one of you. So stop. I'm saying this mainly to myself. Stop looking outward and being frustrated or feeling like a loser, or feeling like it's not good enough. And instead, start looking inward and acknowledging all the positive choices and changes you've made in your life. We need to do that. Because comparison is a thief of joy. And looking outward from ourselves for validation is the worst step we can make in our own mental health. We have to look inwards for that. And we have to give it to ourselves freely. And it's hard. And it's a weird new muscle. But it's like um, in my meditation video that went out on my channel on Monday, it's like we keep bringing it back, right? uh, Suze does that like flex with her bicep. And she's like, you know, the mind will wander and we just bring it back. So every time you find your mind looking out words at other people and thinking, man, I'm such a loser. I should. Nope. I made a good choice that was positive for me. Nope. I did something that I needed to do and I'm on my own timeline. Nope. I'm not behind. I'm not running late. I'm right on time. Um because it's so important that we allow ourselves to go at our own pace. We're not all the same. And thank God, right? Like I even think about that. And I talk about that a lot with my clients who have body image issues or eating disorder issues, because they'll uh, see somebody on Instagram. First of all, almost everybody edits their photos, by the way. I don't because I give no fucks about that because I'm no Instagram model and I don't want to be. But people edit photos. People's bodies are their bodies. They're not yours or mine. And so we need to have these conversations with ourselves where instead of looking at another person's uh, body or situation and saying, oh, they have it so much better. Oh my God, how do they have six pack abs? Or why are their legs so skinny? Or why? Instead, I personally do this thing where when I find myself wallowing in this hole of, of body image despair, I'm like, thank you body for not getting sick. I haven't caught the coronavirus. Or if I did, it fought it off. How fucking amazing is that? I also am able to do all the things I do. My brain can focus so I can do this podcast with you. I get to write scripts for videos and put them out and hopefully help somebody. That's amazing. And my body allows me to do that. I'm writing a book and I can concentrate and hopefully write stuff that makes sense and is helpful. That's amazing. Um, Yeah, our bodies do a lot. So I know that I'm getting off topic, but I could just talk about this a lot because it's something that I personally and professionally work with all the time and deal with all the time. But we have to talk to ourselves nicely. We have to have boundaries around conversations. Don't give everyone access to everything about us. We don't know them that much. Maybe we don't like them that much. And that's okay. Um, Yeah, I hope that was helpful. I was really all over the place on that one. But it's just been something that's like front of mind. And I'm sure there's a video in that somewhere for for my like Katie Morton channel. But I don't know what I call it. I'm rambling. <laughs> I feel like that's what this podcast should be called. <laughs> but hopefully that is helpful. Um, I know that you, you're stressing about the future, but 
you're on your own timeline and there's no finish line you have to get to by a certain age. Just to throw it out there, um, two examples of people at different stages in life doing different things. Um, I had, uh, I mean, probably more, but two that I can remember off the top of my head. Um, two uh, people in my graduate, or I think they in my, it was, sorry, you guys, but I think there were two women in my class in graduate school. And I think they graduated with me, but they might've been on the other cohort for part of it is two years and you kind of swip swap things. Um, anyway, there were two women that were over 50 who had come back to school because they decided that this is what they wanted to do. So awesome. Good for them. There's no timeline. I've had friends who get into positions at work and then hate it. And they're like, I don't know why I went to so much school for this. I'm going to quit and do something else. How many people on YouTube used to have whole other careers? My friend Destin was like a, a aerospace engineer or some shit. And now he has smarter every day. And he just decided to make that transition. You can do whatever you want at any time. There are no timelines and no deadlines. The only timeline is do it before you're dead. And so we should probably take care of ourselves so we have a long timeline to make changes because we change and thank God we do, right? We shed, I like to think we shed skins of our past self and selves. And so if you don't like that old past self of yours, then you get to leave it behind and move on to something else. And I think that's fucking awesome. Okay, I'm rambling. I know. Let's move on. Oh, sorry. I'm not moving on yet. Um, says, and in the time I've been gone, I was supposed to do all these big things that I promised. But in reality, I've been trying to survive. That's all you got to do. You don't have to do all that other shit. Don't allow that spiral of like, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. You're doing what you can now. And that's, that's all you're supposed to do. We're supposed to do our best. You're doing your best. And I give you five gold stars. Okay. Question number six. Hey, Katie, what can I do to stop internalizing anger? I don't even realize it anymore. But when I get angry at someone and then, um, oh, I don't even realize it anymore when I get angry and at someone and turn it against myself instead. It can become like a knee jerk reaction, right? We can do things like this without even realizing it because it's like our normal. It's just what we do. We don't know how any other way to be. And so the best way to stop internalizing anything is to recognize it, to call it out. Again, and I know you guys hate this, but it goes back to those feelings charts and journaling. Even if journaling is just a couple bullet points of like, hey, this week was shit. Today felt terrible. Uh, got some work done though. Tomorrow will be better. Let's say that's a whole journal entry. That's still helpful. I hear frustration. I hear maybe exhaustion, anger. I don't know. Overwhelm, maybe. So journaling a little bit, identifying our emotions, because anger isn't just anger, right? We talk about anger and it's a secondary emotion. We know it's like protecting us from something else. So there's something bigger going on. And it's very, very common for us to turn it inside. But if we can identify it, we're one step closer to being able to express it. Okay. So anyways, long story short, if we journal, we can probably see what's what the anger is covering. What's, what's really happening? Is it hurt? Is it uh, embarrassment? Maybe it's a little vulnerability. It could be a lot of things, right? But then if even if we're just able to, so the journaling will help with that. But even if we're just able to identify that like, hey, today I felt really frustrated. I felt really overwhelmed. I felt irritated or whatever. 
and I can identify those and then I can use them in sentences. You know, I felt irritated when, um, when my boss at 4.45 on a Friday told me that they wanted me to get that report to them by Monday morning. I'm just making up an example. I was frustrated. I was pissed off. Cool. I identified that. I used it in a sentence. I know where it came from. All of that's really, really helpful when we're trying to stop internalizing it because we've identified it. We can explain it. We know what the trigger was. And then the second, like, or third, whatever you want to say, like the next layer of that is expressing it, which will prevent us completely from internalizing it. But even just the journaling and identifying the feelings, using them in sentences, will will stop this from being so intense. But that will help you realize it, get back to just being kind of like in that level of awareness. And then... We can do things to express it. So that could be, it depends on what it is for you. Like for me, a lot of my anger was around, um, I can feel, I can feel angry because I'm embarrassed or I could feel anger because I don't, it's like somebody pissed me off because they hurt my feelings, right? But I don't feel safe to tell them to go fuck off even though I want to, right? I don't feel safe doing that. So then I stuff it down. And so a lot of us do that. And the best way for me to express it was I would sing angry, loud music in my car, like crazy, loud, raging music. Um, I uh, exercise helped a little bit. Like I would go for walks, um, journaling and tearing things up. I'd write nasty letters to people who I was angry at or situations that made me angry. I write them out like by hand. I didn't type them, even though I could probably type so much faster, but something about the physicality of writing, it made me feel good. And then I tear it up or burn it safely. Um, screaming into a pillow does sometimes help. Crying helps me. Um, I don't know why that is probably because I'm actually hurt and upset. And that's like, but it's also cathartic. It like releases, we know it's like, um, I forget the, I don't know if it's serotonin. There are certain chemicals that are released. You guys let me know in those comments. But there are certain chemicals that are released when we cry that are soothing. So those are things we can do. Um, Yeah, find some things that you can do to vent it. But those are the steps. We can't just go from internalizing it to venting it because that's when our anger is actually out of control. And I don't mean that to scare anybody, but a lot of times people will tell me like, yeah, I finally tried to tap into it. And then I would just get in these fights in bars and shout at people. And it was, it was road rage. And there's all these ways that anger just like is just seeping out everywhere. We want our anger to have a purpose, to have a reason, to be able to express it about a certain thing. Otherwise, it's not really processing it. Then we're just like explosive for no reason. And that can make our emotions in general fit out of control. Those are people, um, people who allow it to just explode everywhere. Also be the people that will explode one minute and then cry the next. Because it just feels so, we don't even know where the emotions are coming from. We're not tapping into them. We're just, they're just, we're overwhelmed. We're like a teapot steaming. Like it's just, we're full to the brim. And that's why taking these steps ahead of time help us to better channel the anger and the upset and the emotions, everything that's going on to help us better process it. And potentially, you know, maybe it's like uh, being more assertive or confronting someone about something they said that was hurtful. There's a lot of different ways, but we have to identify what we're feeling each and every day. We have to journal a little bit about that so we can find out what's causing it, what the triggers are. And then we have to find ways to express it because the journaling and identifying in a way are already expressing it. Um, inventing about it in therapy or to friends can be helpful too. Um, yeah, 
it's very, very common. Anger in leads to anxiety, depression, all sorts of things, but we do it all the time. And like you said, you don't even know when you're doing it anymore. And a lot of us are like that. That's very, very common. Don't think that this is weird or anything's wrong with you. It's very normal. Okay. Um, even I do it. Anger feels very scary. So the best way I, I usually cry, which always pisses me off because when I'm angry and I cry, then I'm like, they're not taking me seriously. Damn it. And it like, it builds. And so part of it's like not feeling heard, not feeling validated, not feeling like it's okay for me to take up space. And I've been stuffing it down when I should have been talking about it. Um, I know it's hard and I'm still working on it, but I'm just giving you kind of like my own personal example to let you know you're not alone and we can work on it. Um, I hope that kind of helps. It's just, it's a process. It's a new muscle. Again, bring it back, bring it back. Um, okay. Question number seven, since we can ask you anything, what are your hobbies? My hobbies have really shifted since I've been on lockdown because not only is it the COVID, but then we had a bunch of looters and dangerous people in our city for, uh, two days. I don't know if they're here today. I don't think they are, but anyway, um, prior to lockdown. So I'll give you pre COVID hobbies. I love snowboarding. I love hiking. Um, I love being in the water. I love a pool. I love to swim. I love a lake. I love uh, tubing. It's like one of my favorite summer activities. When we go back to Washington, we go tubing and it's like my favorite. If you don't know what it is, you can look it up. It's like a um, a big floating tube covered in thick canvas that you pull behind a boat. Oh, so much fun. You try not to get knocked off and you hold on. Um, I love outdoor stuff in general. I think maybe because I was raised in the country and my brother and I would spend most summers just outside building forts, running through the fields and just, I don't know. I don't know. And we had a pool growing up to an up above ground pool, um, that my parents got, our neighbor was moving and was getting rid of theirs. And my dad was like, we'll take it. Um, even though it's Washington, it wasn't that warm, but we would take advantage of it when we could. So I love all of that stuff. Um, but then hobbies indoors, it's, it's really tricky. Um, I don't, it, it's been hard for me. I do enjoy, I still do yoga and stuff. Like I, not the exercise is necessarily a hobby, but it's definitely an outlet for me. Um, I'm trying to think of other hobbies. I like to color. I do like to organize. I know that sounds weird, but it helps me like feel soothed. It's like a self-soothing thing. Um, I love to bake and try new recipes. I didn't have any time for that when I'd have to be out of the house a lot, like going to different, I don't know, news stuff or recording podcasts. But now that everything's at home, I've been like baking and cooking more and that's fun and trying new recipes and different things. Um, yeah, I think those are just a few of the things I like. I guess that's it. I also really love fashion. I know that's weird, but it's, it's definitely just a hobby. I love like following fashion, learning how things were made, looking at the way that they like did the pleating and how they tucked. I, I just, I fucking love it. And I get really excited about new, you know, spring lines and summer lines and things coming out. I'm like, Ooh, what colors are going to be the colors? And I mean, I don't buy any of it really. Cause like, where am I going to wear it? Who do I think I am? Um, also can't afford a lot of it. Like, but I know what I like. And then I, I like to watch and see if there's like other cheaper versions. Anyway. So I get really into that kind of stuff and I love a good deal. So so yeah, so there's that. And I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Last two questions. Question number eight. Hi, Katie. I have anxiety and depression and I can never shut my brain off during the day or at night. My question is, how can you can control, how can you control, I don't know why that was difficult for me, um, constant worry thoughts that come out of nowhere 
Also, some of the worry thoughts are about opening up to my therapist. Do you have any tips on being able to open up to your therapist about what's really going on? <clears throat> Thanks so much. Your videos are always so helpful. I'm glad. Yay. Um, it's very, very common. Anxiety and depression, not being able to shut your brain off. I feel that. Um, truthfully, there's two things that I find helpful. Patience, personal, all the same. First, always have a notepad by your bed. Daytime, not being able to shut your brain off, it can be distracting. You should have the notepad, another notepad that's like your daytime notepad, or maybe you just bring one with you wherever you go. But writing things down really helps. If we have a worry thought like, oh my God, I almost forgot to do that thing. Jot that shit down. Get it out of your head. Don't expect your brain to keep bubbling that shit up. Put it in a calendar. Write it on a list. Do that. Keep that, keep that little notepad with you. Write it down. Also, you can have like, I remember Hannah, you guys know Hannah Hart. Back in the day, she used to have like, three or four like teeny little notepads with her and they were all different colors and she was like oh this one's like my thoughts this one's for like work to do's and this one's like venting and I was like oh I kind of like that you could do that too getting things out of our head and onto paper is super super helpful so maybe you have a little different there's you can buy those little packs I might even have some in my like giveaway bin which I should start doing giveaways I just kind of haven't had the time um, but anyway, you can buy those little packs of little notepads. Maybe that's what you do. But getting that stuff out of your head is really, really helpful. And then, so that's one thing. Then the second is thought stopping. And I know I've talked about this more now than ever, but that's because our world is, is, is just, there aren't any words, you guys. It's scary. It's crazy. Shit's crazy. People are acting out of control. It's all crazy. So we have to thought stop. When we find our, our brain, because we all know when it starts doing this, I don't know about you, but I get overheated with like stress sweat when I start like worry thoughts. Those overheat me like that. So that's my, my cue. I'm like, oh no, I'm doing it. So notice what it is for you. Is it, uh, is your foot fidget? Do you start to sweat? Um, do all of a sudden when you start to kind of feel sleepy, now you're fully awake? What is it for you? Start to pay attention because once that happens, we need to notice it as soon as we can. And then we need to do the stop, 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 stop. As much as it takes till your thought, oh, you're like, oh yeah, oh, I was doing that. Stop. We got to pull that brain into the most happy or it needs to be emotionally connected to us in some way. So it's like a vacation that we were so excited to take um, uh, wonderful, uh, memory that we have of like the, I don't know, a last road trip with our friends or a time in, in school when we had a great time or when we've got that first job or our, our date with our now spouse, that first date, or I don't know, your wedding day, pull, you got to have at least one good memory, pull your brain into that memory and tell it to me, like I'm sitting there and I have no idea what you're talking about or who any of these people are or what's happening in as much detail as possible. Those are the best ways. And that shuts your brain off. And it takes practice. It's a muscle. You might as, it's almost like that meditation, right? And I think meditation could actually help too. I'm new to that, as you saw. <laughs> I'm very, very new. So keep pulling it back. Keep pulling it back. And um, keep trying it because it'll just take a little bit of practice. So it's like every time it tries to go back into that worry thought, you're like, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. We pull it back into that memory and up we bring it back. And so same with the meditation. Keep bringing it back to your breath. I think all of those things, those three tips. So having notepads by your bed or with you all the time so you can jot all this worry shit things to do, thoughts, whatever, down, 
then we're going to do some thought stopping and then maybe we'll try some meditation and that I believe will help. Um, and then the second component of this is like, do you have any tips on being able to open up to your therapist and what's really going on? Writing things out can be helpful. Reading from them. I've talked about that a lot. Also, just mentioning in therapy that it's you have a difficult time opening up. That can be helpful. As a therapist, I always try to like ask different questions then. It doesn't always work, but sometimes I can sneak in that way. Like, oh, if I ask it this way, maybe they'll open up more and they'll feel a little bit more safe. Or I can ask them what would make them more comfortable or if there's something that I could say or do that would, you know, encourage that. There's a lot of things that we can do. Um, so I'd encourage you just to try to tell your therapist that you're having a tough time opening up and start there or writing it down. Um, and then if, if that doesn't work, the last kind of tip I have, and I haven't mentioned this before, but this recently helped with a patient of mine, um, is trying to come up with one thing you can tell them that session. One thing. Let's start with something that's not crazily emotionally charged, but you're going to open up a little bit like, hey, you know, um, back when I was a kid, I was bullied at school. So maybe that's the thing. I don't know. Pick something. And that one of those things that you open up, you know, just start slowly. Because I think sometimes we feel like we have to like be all open. It's like black or white, all open or all closed. No. We have to get comfortable with our therapist and we have to slowly open up as we feel safe doing. Um, so be patient with yourself, okay? Final question. Question number nine. Hi, Katie. I know this is, I know it's normal, but is it healthy for a person who experienced numerous sexual traumas in the past to completely lose interest in sex? If such person doesn't want to engage in any sexual or intimate relationships, does it mean they're still processing the past trauma and they'll get back their interest in sex once they fully heal? Or would you say that it's possible and healthy for such a person to fully heal from the past abuse, um, yet never be able to engage with someone sexually ever again, and they just need to accept it? <sighs> this is tricky. And yes, it is normal. I just want to, if anybody's out there wondering, yes, it is normal. And I think it's perfectly healthy for a while for us to lose interest in sex. You could understand how it's like, it's like puffer fishing, right? Ooh, it's protective. We're like, hey, that thing hurt me last time. I don't trust it. I don't want to engage in it. I don't want anything to do with it. It's protective. I 100% support it. And I think it's healthy for a while. And I say a while because there's no time frame. Everyone's different. But I do believe that with the right person, and the right therapist, we can open up our like and be in a healthy, happy sexual relationship. It takes time. It takes understanding. The last portion of the Courage to Heal workbook addresses this and how to have language with your partner about sex, like letting them know what's happened, maybe bringing them into therapy and um, just doing some nice sexual touch for a while. No intercourse, you know, no uh, oral sex or anything like that. More just like loving touches, kissing, maybe, you know, moving into things, seeing how you feel, having a word. Like I know people talk about safe words when they're into um, S&M, but having a word for you to like, I got to stop. And I think for the partner, it's going to take a lot of understanding and patience. But if they love you and they want to be with you, they'll deal with it, right? Um, so, Okay. I want to make sure I answered your question. So yes, it's normal. And yes, it's healthy for a period of time. And I believe that if we don't process the past trauma, that means that 
it's very going to be very, very difficult for us to engage in healthy, have a healthy sex life um, without dissociating, having flashbacks or, you know, whatever. Um, but I think, I think that you can fully heal from the past abuse and engage. And I do not think that if you fully heal from the past abuse, you talk about it, you process it, that you won't regain that sexual interest unless it was never there to begin with. Because I do want to understand, I do want to like, not understand, but I want to call out the fact that I know a lot of you have told me that you are just um, asexual or aromantic. Like you're just, it's not an interest in your of yours and you don't have it. You've never had it. And it's just not something that you want. But with this person, it sounds like it is something that you want. And I believe that once you process it, you will want it again. It'll just be kind of scary. And I think identifying like all those feelings that come up with it, like loss of control, scary, fear, pain, uh, worry, I don't know, just to name a few. But then the connection, love, the things that you want from it, right? And so talking about that in therapy, bringing your partner in, um, I think is the best. If if you're like, hey, I want to try to date again, and how do I even do this? It's just going to be slow and steady. And we're going to have to talk it out with our therapist. I'd encourage you to get the Courage to Heal workbook. It's really, really great um, with tools for healing from sexual abuse um, or sexual assaults and sexual traumas. Um, it definitely focuses on like child, like having it happen in childhood, but I think there's still a lot of wonderful, helpful tools in there. Um, but yeah, I think that you will get it back. You don't have to just accept it. I don't really agree with the like, hey, this can't change. I just have to accept it. Because if it's something that we have control over, something that we can work on and that we can push forward, then we don't have to accept it. We can just keep trying. And I think when it comes to regaining our sexual interest in an enjoyable sexual relationship, it really gets down to like us expressing what we're going through, communicating what we need and having a partner that's patient. That's really, I mean, I know that can be a lot, but that's it. We just have to keep trying, keep understanding. Um, I would encourage you to increase your resources. That will help you all the time when it comes to processing any kind of trauma. It's great to have those resources so that we don't dissociate. We can stay in our body. That will give us the ability to not go into freeze, that learned helplessness that some of us can get through complex PTSD. We want to instead have the wherewithal to say, okay, stop now. I enjoyed that, but it's, it's, I'm at my limit you know, whatever that is that we have to say. Um, but we have to have those resources so that we can stay present and we can stay in our bodies and aware and able to advocate for ourselves. Um, but having a partner that's patient and understanding is like key and a therapist obviously too. But, um, but yeah, you can, it'll get better. You don't have to just, just accept it. We can fight it. We can get it back and it can be ours and a whole new sexual experience, a whole new sex life in a way that maybe we never thought was possible, but it is possible. Okay, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for, um, for sending in your questions. I hope all of you are safe and okay. I hope that this podcast was at least a nice distraction or something, uh, some food for thought. Uh, there's a lot going on. Know that I'm here. I'm here to listen and seek to understand. Um, and again, I'll have a video coming out on Monday about like, you know, listening and having proper conversations, like how to do that. Because I think that that's something that we all really need right now. Um, have a wonderful rest of your week. Take care of yourselves. Do something good for yourself today. I love you and I'll see you soon. You can Bye. ask her about your therapist or vent about your work. You can ask her about your self-esteem or why your feelings hurt. You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. 
Inquire all those questions you've always 